0: Uh, My name is John, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here, and we are starting a new series today called Guarded, as you can see on the image on the screen here. But today's one of my favorite Sundays, and the reason it's one of my favorite Sundays is because as soon as I stop talking, we get to go eat some dessert. Can I get an amen for that? Can I get a hallelujah for some banana pudding? All right, so I'm excited about that. Now, the truth is, I'm really excited just because there's dessert. I mean, I love dessert. I have a body built by dessert, so I'm thankful for dessert. But I'm also excited because we're going to get to invest in our students. And so we get a double blessing, we get banana pudding, and we get to help send our students to youth camp. And I think it's one of the best decisions a student can make is to go to camp because it is proven that a high percentage of us adults even in the room probably made a life-changing decision at camp at some some point in their life and so i know when i was 17 at brownwood youth camp it was a stinky stinky place but i found jesus and it, and it changed my life and so i'm excited when we leave out of here we can go in there and as Carlos said last week, he preached a great message, but the main thing I heard him say was that you will have the best burger and fries you've ever eaten in church, right here. All right, so put it to the test today, but we're going to start this series guarded, and as we think about this, we see this idea of guarding our heart. You know, the Bible says, you know, we say often, or maybe you've heard it say, just follow your heart. That's not what the Bible would say, because the Bible says your heart is deceitful and wicked. That we should follow God, not our heart. And our heart can deceive us. You know the old saying, the number one rule in life is don't fool yourself, but you're the easiest person to fool. And I know that's true in, in my life. And so we want to, this week, we're going to start this series in Malachi, and it's guarding our heart. So I want to ask you to do me a favor today. As we look at this, what we have a tendency, or maybe I should say what I have a tendency to do, when I read these Old Testament minor prophets, and we're going to be in Malachi for the next several weeks, and it seems very easy, my tendency is to look at the nation of Israel, because what we're going to see in this is that God is calling them out. There's like judgment coming because they're not living in covenant relationship with God. God had covenant relationship with them. That was if you will live in obedience, I will bless you. And in Malachi, we see kind of the timeline. I'll give you a quick little timeline here. Is that that we're in between like when the the Babylonians had overtaken the Israelites, and there was a remnant that got to go back, and it seemed like there was this great excitement. They were going to rebuild the temple. In fact, in Malachi, they had already rebuilt the temple. And there was like this hope that this was going to be the generation. This was going to be the group of people that finally lived in obedience to God. And there's this excitement. This new generation is raised up, and they're going to follow God. And by the time we get to Malachi, that generation has proven that they're not any different than their fathers or their grandfathers, that they lived in disobedience to God. Malachi simply means the word itself, the name means messenger, messenger of the Lord. And so Malachi is giving the message to the nation of Israel that could really be summed up in two words. Those words are wake, you know what the second word is? Up, wake up. How many of you feel awake right now? How many of you feel like you're about to take a nap already? Okay, so I'll tell you, wake up. Okay, but here's what I want you to make a commitment today. As we open up God's word, as I have a tendency to look at the nation of Israel and say, "Yeah, look at them. Look what they did. Their heart was far from God. That's why they were doing these things." And I have a tendency not to look at myself. So I'm going to ask you to make a commitment. How many of you would say, "Today, I'm going to, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to tune in." And if I'm gonna listen as we go through the Word of God. God, I want you to speak to me today, and I'm gonna listen. How many of you just put your hand up? I, I'm making a commitment. I'm gonna listen, okay? Hopefully you are all gonna do that. But if, if you're not, don't put your hand up, all right? Don't lie in church, okay? The second part of that, it's it's one thing to say, yep, I'm gonna listen. The second part, would you say, you know what? If God, you remember what David prayed? David prayed, Lord. Reveal wickedness in my heart. Because, again, we all have blind spots and it's sometimes hard to see, like, inwardly. And what does the scripture say? It's, it's like this mirror that as I read it, it reveals, oh, that's not the nation of Israel, only that's me. It's, it's a, what it, is, it describe itself as, as a sharp as a two-edged sword that it divides and it pierces even to my soul. So I'm going to listen, and most of you, I think, have made a commitment. You're going to listen. The, the second commitment I want you to make is when, when God speaks to you today, whatever it is he reveals in your heart, would you be willing to confess it? Would you be willing to say yes? Would you be able to answer and obey what God says? Just put your hand up, okay? And that's a little more hard, right? I'm going to listen, and I'm also going to oh, I'm going to obey. And there's two verses of Scripture I want us to think about as we walk through this. We're going to spend the next uh, five messages, we're going to spend five messages on Malachi. And you're going to see Malachi kind of sets up as a court case. Okay, and so God has this declaration. Israelites kind of give a rebuttal, and then God responds to the rebuttal. We'll see that over and over and again. What we kind of see, there's like really three major categories that the Israelites needed help in, they needed to confess, they were being really complacent in their worship. They were just going through the motions of worship and in the sacrifices. They were also not living faithful to their covenant with God, and specifically they were not living faithful in their covenant in marriage. So God's using Malachi to call them out on that. They were also uh, compromising, they were not faithful in their offerings. Right? So these are kind of the three main categories. And what we're going to kind of unpack in here is and what we're look at today is that, that they it led them to comparison. It's easy to compare, isn't it? Next, we're going to look at uh, this idea that they, it led them to compromise because they were not guarding their heart. It led them to cheating. It led to curses. And we're just going to keep unpacking this. But I think we see in our text this morning that there's this like... Key thought, this key truth that if we, if we would like rest in it, if we would catch the truth in this verse number two, it would guard our hearts. What I think is happening here is that the nation of Israel hasn't really grasped n- verse number two. They're doubting verse number two. I see some of you looking like, what is he talking about? And, and, and so because they doubt what verse two tells us, it leads them to compare, to compromise, to cheat, and we'll keep unpacking this. So it's important today that as we look at verse number two, we're going to read verses one through five, that we really are sure of one thing. Look at verse number one. It says, The burden, some would translate that the oracle, or maybe the pronouncement. So this is a pronouncement. A pronouncement, the oracle kind of brings it with the idea of a pronouncement of judgment. So it's the burden It's translated, New King James says, it's a burden or the oracle of the word of the Lord. So it's the Lord making a pronouncement. He's making the pronouncement, it says, to who? What does it say there in your text? It's to Israel, all right? So he's pronouncing something the Lord is to the nation of Israel by Malachi, right? The messenger of the Lord. And so that kind of sets the stage of what we're going to read, verse number 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord, yet Jacob I have loved. But Esau I have hated and laid waste in the mountains and his heritage for the jackals in the wilderness, even though Edom has said we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may, they may build, but I will throw down they shall call the territory of the wickedness and the people against whom the Lord has indignation forever. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. So look at verse number two. Again, God makes this declaration. Again, so there's just going to be this warning. You're not living in a relationship with me. You're not being faithful to, you know, the ordinances of God. You're not being faithful in your relationship with your spouse. You're not being faithful in your offerings. And, and God is, the first thing right out of the gate says, I have loved you. And what is the response of the nation of Israel? How? It's, it's this idea of like, the spoiled little kid it 's not fair. do you remember now I don 't want you to call out your kids, but we all know those other kids that are spoiled little brats, right? How, how many of you be honest enough to say that you maybe at one point in your life you were a spoiled little brat? anybody want to raise your hand open confession it 's a good time to confess now. My parents had three spoiled brats, and then they had the good one, me, okay? So we all understand what it means to be a spoiled brat, right? We all understand that. Shake my head, yeah. Of course, it's the other person sitting next to us, never, never us. But this is what it's saying. God is saying, I have loved you. The nation of Israel then responds, well, how? If you really loved us, God, we wouldn't be in this mess, That's that's what they're saying behind this question. Oh, God, how could you really love us? We were in captivity. We fled back home. We've got to come home. Oh, the temple's been rebuilt. But, you know, it's really not the way it should be. The temples, the walls, excuse me, have still lay in ruins. Nehemiah hasn't showed up yet. Oh, God, do you really love us? And you see, if we cannot rest in the reality and the truth that God, in fact, does love us and that God, in fact, is good, when life is difficult, we will be just like the nation of Israel. How have you loved me, God? And when we doubt the love of God, what it leads us to is what we're going to unpack the next few weeks. It leads us to compare. It leads us to compromise. And it leads us down the wrong path. Do you believe that God loves you, yes or no? Do you believe that God is good, yes or no? Every Sunday I get up here and I say, God is good? And all the time? You know what I don't get up here and say every Sunday? Life is good all the time. All the time life is good. Because it's not true, is it? We could use some other adjectives that we probably shouldn't in church about life sometimes And you see, if we're not settled on the reality that God, in fact, loves me and God, in fact, is good, when life is not good, we will be just like the nation of Israel. And we will say, God, it's not fair. You don't love me. And begin to compare. Look what that person has. Look what they have. I was kind of thinking out loud, and I wrote this few statements down. Now, the first service, they agreed with me, so I'm kind of a little more confident in my statement than I was this morning, but I want to see if you agree with this, so track with me here. Comparison robs you of contentment. Do you agree with that? Comparison robs you of contentment. Okay, that's the first statement. Can I kind of build here? Discontentment robs you of joy. Is that also true? So, so far, comparison robs you of contentment, discontentment robs you of joy. Galatians, According to Galatians chapter 5, joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Is that also true? Okay. You don't really have to agree with that one because it's in the Bible. I don't need your approval, okay? But I, I just kind of want you to understand. So, comparison robs of you, you of contentment, discontentment robs you of joy, joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Therefore... Comparison quenches the Spirit of God in my life. Some of you are still processing, I know. Let's let's go through this. Comparison robs you of contentment. Contentment robs you of joy. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, comparison quenches the Spirit of God in my life. So let's look at the nation of Israel. Again, I think this all hinges on when I don't completely believe that God loves me and God is good. It leads me to comparison. Look at chapter 3 and verse number 13. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. All right, so here, again, it's like this case. The Lord makes a, a declaration, they have a rebuttal, and then God answers again. So verse 13. Your words have been harsh against me," says the Lord. Yet you say, "What have we spoken against you?" Really, God? Are you sure? You have said. God is responding. It is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept His ordinance? Do you see what they're saying? What? It's useless to follow God. What benefit is us that we have kept up the covenant, the ordinances, that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? Verse 15. So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up, they even tempt God and go free. So here we see the nation of Israel, God, it seems useless, it seems pointless to live in covenant relationship with you because those people over there have everything we're living in famine the city walls haven't been built God I don't, I don't think you love us and it seems pointless to even serve you and I was reading this this week it made me think of this question and and so I'll, I'll kind of let you wrestle with this question this week as well when we think about serving God, when we think about following God, when we think about loving God, why, why do we choose to serve and to follow and to love and to live in obedience to God? Do we, do we serve God? Do we follow God? Do we love God? Do we obey God because we want his presence or his presence? So let me clarify because I see some confused looks. Do we want his presence with a T or do we want his presence with a C? We should with a C, in case you don't know. Can I, can I be honest with you? I'm not sure that that's always the case in my life. Sometimes, like the nation of Israel, when life isn't going exactly like I want it to go, it seems pointless, God, to be committed to your church. It seems pointless, God, to give my tithes and my offerings, because my neighbor, they have a new truck and a boat, and they catch all kind of fish on Sunday morning. I mean, that's not exactly what this text says, but I, I think that's what it implies. Got it. Seems pointless. Let's keep reading. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Let's keep reading verse number 1 of chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will will stumble, will be uh, stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall, stall-fed calves. So here's what happens. The Israelites are saying, do you even love us, God? Because it doesn't feel like it, because life is really difficult, and life is really hard, and, and, and it, it seems pointless to serve you. It seems pointless to follow you, because life is, man, it's unfair. And God reminds them as they look at the book of Remembrance. And they look back, and you know what they look back on when they see the book of remembrance? They see the faithfulness of God. They see the goodness of God. They see the mercy of God. They see the grace of God. And then God reminds them, listen, the day is coming when we're going to discern between the wicked and the righteous. In the New Testament, there's two different images it uses. We're going to discern between the goats and the sheep, or we're going to discern uh, b- between those who have followed God and who are not following God. We're going to we're going to we're going to see the difference between the wheat and the tares. And so we we challenge you this morning. I want to hear from God, and I'm going to listen. And God is reminding us there are some, one of the most troubling passages of scriptures in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, it talks about this day of reckoning. And it says that many will stand before the Lord. It says many will say, God, I I did all these wonderful things in your name. I cast out demons and I was faithful to the church. I I did everything in the name of the Lord. And Jesus is going to say to them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never never knew you. So there's this great hope in this verse that God is saying, listen, maybe you look and you're comparing your life and things aren't good, but remember, Jesus is coming and he's bringing healing in his wings. Are you ready for Jesus to come? Amen. He's going to set all things new. So here's what we have to understand. When life gets difficult, when problems are, one thing is to remember, God is going to set things straight. The righteous will be forgiven. The righteous will enter their reward. The wicked will be judged. And so it seems like the next question we have to ask is, which one are you? You see, God is reminding them, I have loved you. And we read there, I I chose Jacob. I proved that I loved you because I chose Jacob, not Esau, not the Edomites. I chose the Israelites, the, the Jacob's descendants. You are them, he says. I have loved you. What about you this morning? It sounded like most of us said, yeah, I believe God loves me. Yeah, I believe God is good but when we think about the image used here the wicked the righteous the wheat or the tares the goats or the sheep which which are you and we have to rest in the reality that god loves us we we one of the most quoted verses in scripture john 3:16 right for god so what God so loved the world. God so loved you that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him, they will not perish. They'll have what? Everlasting life. It's important for you to know God loves you. Amen. And when we doubt God's love, we think of what Paul said in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. God demonstrated His love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Whenever life gets difficult and I begin to doubt the love of God, I want to look to the cross. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 says, God was rich in his mercy. Think about that. God is rich in his mercy. Why? Because of his great love by which he has loved us. That even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us come alive together with Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved. Do you know that God loves you today, yes or no? Do you believe that God is good, yes or no? And do you know today that you belong to Jesus? You see, God's love is available to all. But we have to receive it So as we unpack this the next few weeks, today I want you to think about this. Do you belong to God? I'm not asking you, do you know God loves you? That's, that's, that's the first part. Do you believe God is good? That's the second part. But does God live in you? Have you accepted the gift of salvation by placing your faith in Jesus Christ? And if you haven't done that, would you do that today? For many of us in the room, like I told you at the beginning, when I was 17 years old, I made that decision. And for me, what, what now I have to wrestle with is when life gets difficult, I have to be reminded that even in the difficulty, God is still good. That even when life seems unfair, I've got to take my eyes off of what my circumstances are and put my eyes on God. I heard it said a long time ago, I don't know who the quote is from, but it says that we have a tendency... To glare at our problems and just glance at God. What we should be doing is glancing at our problems and glaring at God. So today, maybe you give your life to Christ like I did a long time ago. Then you're going to have to, just two points of application this morning. You're going to have to rest in the reality that God loves you and because of his love for you, and because God is good, then you can praise him in all circumstances. Can you? Is it possible? Is it hard? It is. And that's why we have to be reminded that God loves me, and God is good. I'm going to praise him in all circumstances. The second thing is pretty similar. I'm going to trust him in all circumstances. Because God is love and because God is good, when life is difficult, I'm going to choose to praise. I'm going to choose to trust. I want to ask this morning as we are kind of wrapping up the service, if there's someone in here that has not given your life to Christ, if you're not sure that you belong to Christ, can I just assure you The reason you're here today is because God wants you to know he loves you and he sent his son to die for you. And all you have to do to receive forgiveness of sins is place your faith in Jesus. It's simply calling out. It's simply admitting, God, I believe I'm a sinner. The Bible clearly says all have sinned. So I'm going to admit it. Then the Bible says if we will believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we shall be Saved. I'm going to believe that Jesus died for for me. You believe that Jesus died for you, and then you're going to confess. Confess your sins and confess Jesus is Lord. In a moment, we're going to stand. I'm going to be standing right down here. If you would like to give your life to Christ, just come talk to me. After the service, I'll be standing in the back in the foyer. Come talk to me. For the rest of us this morning, I, I want to read, I'm going to ask the, the band to come up this, this morning and prepare for our last song. We're going to sing a familiar, part of the song is very familiar, God is so good. But I want to read this uh, illustration today, and, and just to be honest, it's a little longer than I would probably normally read, especially... Um, I don't know about you, but my mind all of a sudden went to some banana pudding and chocolate cake. <laughs> I gotta shake that out. Seriously, I'm really thinking about it. I'm hungry. Anybody else hungry this morning? All right, who who who's gonna bid on the banana pudding? I gotta know who I'm gonna tackle first. All right, see how it goes. There's a story of two sisters that I want to read for you. And, and it's easy, and it's one thing for me to get up here and say, when life is difficult, trust God. Because it sounds so churchy, doesn't it? Like, I'm supposed to say that. And it seems easy for us to respond, yes, I'm going yeah, to trust God when life gets difficult, because like right now, life is good. But to hear the story of these two sisters, and yet they still chose to praise God in all circumstances, to trust God in all circumstances. Corey and Betsy Tinboom were courageous, compassionate Dutch Christians who helped harbor Jews from the Nazis in Holland during World War II. After the sisters were arrested for doing so, they were imprisoned in a German concentration camp. In their barracks, they were shown to a series of massive square platforms. They were stacked three levels high. They were placed so close together that the people had to walk single file just to pass between them. Rancid straw was scattered over the platforms which served as a communal bed for hundreds of women. Corey and Betsy found they could not sit upright on their own platform without hitting their heads on the deck above them. They They lay back struggling against nausea that swept over them from the rancid, reeking straw. Suddenly, Corey stared up striking her head on the cross slats above something had bitten her leg fleas she cried betsy the place is swarming with them descending from the platform and edging down a narrow aisle they made their way to a patch of light here and here another one corey weld betsy how can we live in such a place Show us, show us how, Betsy said matter-of-factly. It took Corey a moment to realize that her sister was praying. Corey, Betsy then exclaimed, God has given us the answer before we even ask. He always does. In the Bible this morning, where, where was it? Read that part again. Corey checked to make sure there were no guards nearby, and then she drew from a pouch, a small Bible, which she had managed to smuggle into the concentration camp. It was 1 Thessalonians, she said. Find the passage in the feeble light, here it is. Comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Betsy erupted. That's the answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about the barracks. Corey stared at her, then around at the dark, foul smelling room, such as, she inquired, such as being assigned here together. Corey bit her lips. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Such as what you are holding in your hands. Corey looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, agreed Betsy. Thank you for the very crowding here. Since we're packed so close, many more will hear. She looked at her sister expectantly and prodded. Corey. oh, all right. Thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you. Betsy continued on. For the fleas? That's way too much, Corey. She cut in on her sister. There's no way even God can make me grateful for the fleas. Give thanks in all circumstances, Betsy corrected. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are a part of the place where God has put us. So they stood between the stacks of barracks and gave thanks for fleas. Though on the occasion, Corey thought Betsy was surely wrong. One evening, when Corey arrived back at the barracks, Betsy's eyes were twinkling. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, Corey told her. You know, we've never understood why we had so much freedom in this room, Betsy said, referring to the part of the barracks where the sleeping platforms were. Well, I found out this afternoon there was confusion in my knitting room. So we asked the supervisor to come and settle it, but she wouldn't. The guard would not step through the door, neither would the other guards. And you know why? Betsy could not keep from the triumph from her voice, and she exclaimed, Because of the fleas. That's what the guard said. The place is crawling with fleas. Corey's mind raced back to their first hour in the barracks. She remembered Betsy knowing, bowing her head, thanking God for the creatures that Corey could see no use for. And the question for us today is, do we believe that God loves us? Do we believe that God is good? Because if we do, we can praise him in all circumstances. And we can trust him in all circumstances.